That's not the name of the episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's just the header. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Massive Attack Podcast. I had to check myself then which podcast I was actually on, but yes, it's the Massive Attack Podcast for the 28th time. It is. And with me as always, those dulcet tones of Joseph. Hello, Mitch. Oh, I don't think I've ever called you Joseph ever before. Not on the podcast, I don't think. Maybe I think you haven't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, anyway, welcome. Well, thank you. And before we start, I must say congratulations to the new arrival. Little Jackson Mitchell has now joined us. Met Darksiders too. Yes, I've had a son. Or well, I haven't. My wife and I have a new son. And that's why this episode is a little bit later than we were expecting. Yes, because the baby a came bit. a little bit early. He did. Yes, so what we were planning on doing as a topic for this episode didn't quite fan out the way we played, but it'll it'll be fine. Exactly. It'll so be fine. instead of doing the full episode on the 90s, we're just going to do a normal episode with that being our topic. But as usual, we may as well jump into gaming. I know yes. you did have a little bit of gaming. Well, well, a lot, actually. Because okay. last time we spoke, I was probably playing... Did I pl- mention Darkness? I think you just started the Darkness when we Well, I finished the Darkness 2, okay. which was a nice little six, seven hour game. So that was before the boy came along. And now I've had Keeping with the Dark theme. I played Darksiders 2, which I've been sitting on for a long time. Time. and I love Darksiders 1 and it's Joe Madeira who's a classic X-Men artist from the 90s he did all the concept art for this game and I've got his art book behind me as yep. we look and unfortunately can't get the book for book 2 if I wanted to buy the book for 2 which is not available anymore it's on eBay and places like that for around $300 crazy isn't it yes so no I won't be getting that book yes I've been playing that and it came in handy like when day obviously my wife was in hospital for five days well not obviously but she was in hospital for five days so there was a lot of sitting around hospitals waiting and then i'd come home and wind down and play a couple of hours of darksiders and then ever since he's come back it's sort of something i do nurse him for a while in one hand and play in the other and i've cranked up 29 hours so far okay. in the game so it's, it's quite a big game. Like, I looked at how long to beat, and it's like, like 60 hours or something. Like that's a vague memory of that, and there's a lot of vague going on the last couple of weeks. I know it's big. Yeah. I, I think I'm definitely past halfway. So that 60 hours is probably completionist and doing everything. Okay. I'm digging it. It's sort of my type of game, I so think. So it's a third-person sort of action-adventure yep. type game? Yep, so in the same sort of thing as a Bayonetta or Dante's Inferno, um, okay. Devil May Cry, I'm assuming. Those sort of games where I button mash through battles. I'm playing on easy mode because there's a lot of puzzle elements. Like, the battle's fine. You have a boss. you sort of got to think a little bit more with the boss, but with everything else, you just hit X until you beat them. But the puzzle side, because one, yes, you've got to jump in and get around and get to certain areas to unlock a cage to open the next bit to go to the next bit. And I love that sort of element of gaming because there's stats that you can have a look in there and there's something like in 29 hours of game, there's like two and a half hours of battle. Okay. So there's a lot more exploring going on. And I'm a lot better at that than if I had to use proper techniques like a Dark Souls or something like that, I I would just give up. Is there RPG elements to it? So you sort of have your skills and you upgrade them as you go along? I've got skills and I've upgraded things that don't pay the bills, but I don't think they're factoring in a lot. And it's a bit like Borderlands or Diablo where you find different weapons outside and some are more powerful than the other and some have different attributes. But again, I'm swapping them out every now and then and they're meant to be better, but I'm not noticing a lot of difference in the way I'm playing. Mm. Playing in baby mode, maybe if I was taking a bit more seriously 
that aspect of it might be a difference but yes there are these collectible elements and there's rare items on this but I'm not seeing like Borderlands sometimes rare items actually don't mean shit <laughs> it's just yeah it's Diablo's a, a little bit like that as well you pick up a, a gold item in Diablo and sometimes your blue items or your yellow items are even better yeah so I mean you've got different so you've always got scythes as your main weapon you've got a secondary weapon which could be a hammer or a clave I think it is or gauntlets and things like that and some are slower than others and big battle axes and stuff so okay. they just look different and so the animation's kind of cool the premise is you're one of the horsemen of the apocalypse yeah, so is that what it is dark side is one you're war and what is it good for absolutely nothing and basically the seals have been broken or someone has accidentally broken the seals which is to bring on the four horsemen of the apocalypse so he's gone and bought on the apocalypse war and it was someone tricked him into doing it and that's what the first game's all about now he's in sort of trouble or prison or something equivalent so this is his brother death sort of trying to save his brother I mean storyline you take it or leave it what it is the visuals are fantastic and it's got some different elements I remember in the first one there's a sort of a portal part of the game where you literally make portals and jump between things and you use that to get through puzzles and you get a grappling hook sort of hand which is kind of cool so you can't you know you've got to jump from different platforms to different grappling hooks to points to get there so that's turned up in the game but you don't get it from the start so you do certain parts of the game you can't get to certain levels until you get this extra attribute there's another one where you can create stone ghosts that you can control and then make them solid so there's platforms where you've got to stand on this platform and that opens a gate but you've got to go and command the ghost to stand on that platform to trigger the the trigger and then opens a platform which you go in and open it's all that sort of elements and then now we've just unlocked another feature where you can split into two characters so you have you turn into a stone statue and then two versions of you come out so you can control both of them independently so sometimes you need two platforms you put up put weights on to run around to another bit so it's good puzzling in that way that to figure out how do i get to this switch oh i've got to do that and then got to do this good so that's the bit i'm really loving about it well that's good because then it kind of gives you that extra element that it's not always just how many people you can beat up and that's the next level and that's the thing that would bore me yeah like a beat them up i don't want to play like, okay. I enjoy that aspect as, all right, I'm beating up this for a while. But, you know, it's it, I'm glad it's not 28 hours of battle in this 29-hour game. I'm loving the puzzle element of it because it gives me time to explore, especially if you've got a nursing kid on your arm. Exactly. <laughs> it's a lot easier. Now, you mentioned graphics. I don't know if you mentioned on the last episode, but you've now set up your Xbox to run through your PC monitor, haven't you? I have. Now, and I'm not it's, sure if you mentioned a, that. I don't think we did, but, um, yes, in, in the, un- the incumbent um, child, I was reducing the size of my room well the size of the room is exactly the same how much <laughs> how much stuff i can have in that became smaller so i had to get rid of the crt tally i know terrible yeah. and i have i'm running two monitors on my pc anyway so what i'm doing now is sharing one of those monitors with the xbox which has actually made me game more because it's it's yeah, just it's there strange. in front of me now and I've, i'm running it through that so it's really really cool so the so graphics probably, are crisper it's probably running on a higher resolution yeah. being a monitor rather than a tv i can well. read the text well, that's good. Well, that's the scariest... Like, I remember Borderlands. I just... I had such a headache after playing on it for a while because the text was terrible to read. Yep. There was one game I played, I couldn't even read the text. I can't remember what it was now, but it was just like... Literally, I could not read the text. Yep. Like, it was like, I don't know what you're saying. Yeah, I found that when I first bought my Xbox 360 and I played Fable 2, and there was text box in Fable 2, and I was, like, squinting from the other side of the room going, I just cannot read what the screen's telling. It's hard to believe how bad the resolution was. And yeah. That's a nice, way, much better place now. Yeah. So, well, other than that, have you been playing anything else, man? Yes. Yes, I had. The nephews came over. 
And okay. to distract them, I bought it recently because of my nostalgic trip to the US. I bought the Connect Disneyland Adventures because okay. it was like ten dollars. So it's literally walking around Disneyland theme parks and having little mini games <laughs> at the different rides. And I thought that would be kind of cool, just going back and doing. It. And it, it's a, it's kind of clunky. It's not bad for a Connect game. Like the controls aren't the greatest because it's Connect. It's, yeah. And it's made for kids, so it's very basic in that way. But they played it for a good hour or so before they went home. Okay. And then I found myself for the next three hours <laughs> playing even more. So it's it sucking me in. Like, the nostalgia there of walking around the park going, if I go left, this should take me to Space Mountain. There it is. It's just like, it was walking around the park. It was kind of awesome. And you got these little mini games. Like, you go to the Matterhorn, and you go in that, and then there's a game where you lean left to right, and... You sort of got to collect coins and then there's abominable snowmen there. So you've got to like do a gesture of throwing and you're throwing snowballs at the abominable snowmen. (laughs) Okay. So that was one. And then you go to another part of the park and there's another ride. Like Space Mountain is a space one. You go to Buzz Lightyear's thing and you go around shooting and flying and it actually was kind of good. It was, it was fun. It was just. So you've got Disney Infinity there, but instead you've been playing Disney Adventure Connect again. Yeah. I haven't gone back to Disney Infinity. We played what? One little run around level. Just have a look at it. So you haven't gone back? Nope. Okay. Well, speaking of Connect, I picked up Connect Fruit Ninja in oh, yep. the sales not so long ago. Mm-hmm. I actually broke that out for my kids just recently, and they quite enjoyed it. The Connect had a, a bit of a hard time with a three-year-old kind of moving around <laughs> and keeping jumping out of the the sight of the Connect and having to recalibrate a fair bit. But they got a bit of fun out of that, and then. Same sort of similar to you. After they left, I sort of decided I'd have a bit of a go. I didn't quite play as long as you did, but I played a, a few rounds of that and quite enjoyed it. Well, I'm definitely keen. The, the silly thing is my arm after three hours is very tired because you're, you're pretty much just holding one arm up, gesturing one side to the other. That means move forward and go a little bit left, a little bit right. And during the game, it takes a lot of photos of you doing certain things in the games. And, and probably post them on the internet somewhere. Well, I hope it hasn't because they're not flattering didn't photos. Didn't have a pad, I did. That's dagging out my tracker decks. Yeah. Yes. Well, other than that, Fruit Ninja, I have been playing a little bit myself. I notice you're still on the WWE 13 every now and then. With WrestleMania coming up, I'm kind of got back into wrestling a little bit. So I've been watching a bit of wrestling, Mm -hmm. which in turn meant that I felt like playing a bit of wrestling. So I've been playing a bit of WWE 13. I've actually been using the real characters rather than my creator characters for a little while. Is there any other real characters left? Yes. There'd be no room with all the characters you created. Well, I've got ten gig worth of creator character stuff on on the hard drive, but I have, yeah, I've been playing a few games of that, and my wife and I have been playing a bit more Diablo three. We're now probably about two thirds the way through our fourth playthrough. Fourth. Oh. Well, this is the last playthrough. Once we do this playthrough, there probably isn't that much more unless we want to start again with different characters or maybe try permadeath mode, which I don't think we're ready for. Because the good thing with playing on the the normal levels that we're on now once you die you just respawn and you lose a bit of like durability on your items but there is a permadeath mode which when you die you start back at the very beginning again yeah yeah i don't think i'm for that but i've just on the weekend i was sort of sitting around and i thought all right my wife's going out tonight she's going to go and watch the footy the following night i've got a good couple of hours worth of gaming ahead of me i thought go through something in my pile of shame that's not going to take me too long so i jumped on how long to beat and i had a look at deadlight Mm-hmm. which I picked up. arcade game, is it? Yeah, it's a XBLA title. Yep. It's a fairly short game. And I picked it up in the sales for probably $2, I think I paid for it, in the, the Ultimate Gaming sale just before Christmas. And I thought, yep, How Long to Beat says four hours for this. I should be able to knock this out a couple of sessions. And I did. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed it. Like, it's... So it's uh, like Shadow Complexy sort of? Kind of like Shadow Complexy, but it's a bit less of the, as they call it, Metroidvania. It's more of a just a 
a linear story. There's no going back to get things once you unlock stuff. So it's a, a 2D, or well, they call it 2.5D because the backgrounds kind of move a little bit, but it's basically a 2D side-scrolling survival horror game where it's set in the 80s and you're in post-apocalyptic Seattle and there's zombies going around. And Simple mode soundtrack? No, there's not much music to it then at all. why is it the time. 80s? What does it matter? Yeah, I don't really understand why it's the 80s. There's a couple of like 80s type references where when it's saving it's got like these little icons in the corner that look like a audio cassette and some of the collectibles you find are like handheld Nintendo type games. But other than that, it could be set anytime really. Weird. But graphically, it's quite different. It's reminded me a lot of Limbo because everything's... It's all silhouette Yeah, it's silhouettes. Yeah. There's no colour to it, really. It's, it's just you. There's coloured backgrounds and you're a black and white dude and the rooms or the areas you go into kind of light up as you get to them. So you can't really see what's coming ahead until you get there. Combat in it was quite difficult. Probably for the first couple of levels, I was trying to fight the zombies and then I realised that the whole idea was really to get away from the zombies or to kind of trick them into falling off balconies and stuff like that. but So you don't level up per se? You... No, no, you, you just start and you have nothing to start with and eventually you find an axe which you can hit the zombies with. Born with nothing and you've got nothing. Exactly. And then, yeah, there's guns later on, but then it does that thing with you where you get your guns and then you lose your guns and you're back to having nothing for a little while and then you get another gun at the end. But, yeah, to was... kill yourself with because you realise all hope is lost. Yeah. But no, for for what it was, it was a good. There was a good couple of hours. As I said, it was probably two two hour sessions. There was only one bit that annoyed me a little bit. One of the puzzles was a little bit difficult to kind of get the grasp of what I was meant to be doing. But again, Google's your friend, and I just found a fact quite quickly. And at that stage, when I did find the fact, I was like, "Oh, I'm further along in the game than I thought it was." So. Well, full disclosure, yeah. I have maybe gone to a few facts in my 20 hours of gaming, but I blame late nights and lack of sleep. Exactly. But I've got most of it. I've been sort of enjoying figuring out the puzzle. Some are just like, I know I've got to do something here. And the problem with gaming being broken lately, some games are just shit. Yeah. And they don't fix it. And it's like, I'm sure I've got to do this thing and I'm trying to do it. And then I go to the fact and I read it. And sometimes it's good, like, if you go watch a YouTube clip telling you how to do it, it shows you everything. Sometimes the facts are vague enough that you've still got to figure out what they mean. Yeah, exactly. And there was one like, do this and do that. It's like, ah. So I was doing the right thing, but I just was bypassing one part of it. But yes, the idea, I was right. I just had to trigger this one thing and that could be a game breaker if I didn't have a fact like, well exactly it would be like, for me it would have been because I got to a point where I'd been playing like a couple of hours and it was getting late-ish on the Friday night and I was like maybe I need to give this up and start again tomorrow with a clear head and I did with a fact and it went well, speaking of game breakers yes I have the same day my son was born I deleted Candy Crush off my phone so was that part of being a good parent no frustration with the game, <laughs> but I thought it would probably be a good thing to do. But being on the, we were both stuck on the same level for a couple of weeks, yep. and it got to a point where I was like, "I'm not enjoying this. I'm just getting frustrated, and I don't see myself getting through this level." And yeah, so the the morning of because we were booked in for cesarean, so I was like, "Oh yes, I'm sitting in the waiting room." I was like, "No, you can go. I don't need you anymore." And <laughs> have not looked back. There's not one day in the last three weeks where I've gone, "Oh, I'm a bit bored. I wish I had Candy Crush on my phone still." Not one day. Oh, that's good. I am not missing it. It well, is so liberating. It was like, yeah, that's good because it means nothing. Yeah. Let me just say that the good thing is if you do reload it, it'll remember what level you're on. I'm not not going to happen. <laughs> if you relapse and you need that sort of fix again, I've got Marvel Puzzle Quest. If exactly. I need to match three things somewhere, I can do that. Well, it did take me 
probably another couple of weeks after after that time that I have actually got past level 421. Did you punch the air? Uh, I or did. did you like f- I, I had angrily to, do it? Going, I had to buy a you. hammer, like the lollipop hammer, because I got to the stage where I'd had a couple of hammers from like daily spins, and I used them, and I got to the point where I had what I needed to get, and I only had one move to go, and I thought, so wonderful. If hammer. I fuck this up, I will be stuck on this for another few weeks, or I could just pay two dollars now and get a hammer, and I splurged and got a hammer. But now I'm stuck on four twenty five, so yeah, get rid of it. It just goes. It's on, so it? good. Yes. I feel so much better. Yeah. I'd probably get more work done because, you know, <laughs> sneaking off and tea breaks and stuff and taking longer than I should because I'm stuck in candy crushing. Candy crushing is a euphemism for going to the toilet now. Yeah, it is, yeah. yeah. Anyway, getting quickly getting back to Deadlight before we move on, I've just found out that it is now going to be the second of the Games for Gold games for April. So if you are interested, it's free later on this and month. And only four hours long. Yeah, it's probably worth the money. Anyway, that's probably gaming, although I did notice you were playing a demo of something the other day that looked well, kind of cool. I, I don't know what put me onto it, but I was I, there was a game on the Xbox Live Arcade. It's pretty pricey for a... It's like 10 bucks, I think. 17 bucks okay. for an arcade game. It's called LocoCycle. And I don't know what made me look into it, but it actually had a lot of video. Like, they filmed a lot of video for this thing, and it's... I don't think I mentioned on the podcast before, but there's a show we watched, a pilot TV show years ago, that was actually written by community creator Dan Harmon and Rob Schraub. Yep. And it's called Heat Vision and Jack. And it was late 90s, I think it would have been. Yeah, probably. And it was directed by Ben Stiller. Yep. It starred Jack Black and the voice of Owen Wilson. And basically it was Jack Black played an astronaut who got too close to the sun and his brain <laughs> got exposed to too much solar radiation. So when he came back to Earth, whenever he was in the sunlight, he was ridiculously smart. But if it was in the shade or indoors, he was just normal. And NASA wanted to experiment on his brain. So he escaped with his stone of flatmate, came to pick him up to escape from NASA. This is all in the opening credits, not the opening plot, the opening <laughs> credits. And his flatmate was Owen Wilson, rides in on his motorbike to save him. Ron Silver, the actor, who's, who is playing himself as the actor, <laughs> but who is just, he moonlights as an actor, but he actually is a spy for the US government. He's chasing after Jack Black as he's escaping, shoots an experimental NASA ray at him, misses, hits Owen Wilson while he's on the motorbike, and they morph into the one thing, so it becomes a sentient motorbike with the voice of Owen Wilson. And they go off on adventures. That was the premise of the series. And, yeah, it's it's... It's a great pilot. I don't know if there's how much of a series you could have done this, but mind you, Community yep. was about study group and the exactly. fact that I didn't think they would have had legs. Four seasons in? Yeah, six seasons in a movie. Six seasons, yeah. No. Well, yeah, so this is this is essentially that. Okay. So, but yeah, so it's essentially, well, it's not a, it's not that plot, but you, what you are is it's a AI motorcycle, but you're dragging a mechanic behind you. So it's gone to like the equivalent of Sturgis. It's, it's, it's glitched. It's seen a commercial for like a Sturgis, an infomercial for the Sturgis gathering of motorcycles. Yep. So this experimental AI motorcycle goes, let's get a Sturgis. So the mechanic's there and it just takes off. The mechanic's pants are caught. Now this is all done as filmed. It's, it, and it stars James Gunn, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, also director of Slither, the writer of... Lollipop Chainsaw. Yes, as far as gaming goes, yeah. and also um, one of my favourite movies, The Specials. So he's in it, and he wrote Tromeo and Juliet for Troma. And also in the movie, in the film part, is um, Lloyd Kaufman from Troma Films. So this okay. is why it's in my wheelhouse. It's yep. like, oh my god, these are in this thing. Yeah, so essentially it's a bike-foo game. 
<laughs> so, so this is all the setup, and this is all in the demo, and then you've played the first level. And what you are is this bike. So once that intro movie finishes with the, the guy being dragged off on the bike, it goes into game mode. So you are this motorbike dragging a person behind you, and things are attacking you. And what you can do is attack. So you'll jump in the air and push different attacks, and you will swing the person behind you and use him as a weapon. <laughs> so you're jumping and flipping and twisting and things like that, and it's a racing game. And okay. it's like, this is kind of funky. Now, the price is pushing me not in to get it just yet, but I'll be, I'm will be i keeping my eye on it for so a price drop. As soon as it goes drop. on sale? Yeah, and you're, pretty you're much, because it, it just looked yeah. like fun. And uh, I, looked at, I showed you the trailer just to sort of give you a concept of it, and there's a lot more video, obviously, later on in the game yep. as well. So there's a plot and a story in there, which is kind of fun, which okay. I like the idea of it being short and silly. Maybe I should check out the demo. So As I said, I've watched the trailer, and it did look kind of fun. Yeah, but I think 17 bucks, I think, is yeah. what I saw. And I was like, a it's a bit rich. Mm. All right, well, that's probably gaming. Yes. Other than that, you've had a chance to watch some TV? TV, yes. Movies, no. Like, well, movies we'll go are... TV first then, and then we'll jump into movies. Well, a lot of TV, actually. Because there was five nights of coming home from the hospital. Yeah. And I'm not going to sit down and watch Breaking Bad or anything like that. I, I, I need some brainless twaddle. So I'd sit down, turn on the computer, eat whatever late night takeaway I could find at that time of night, and I watch comic book men because <laughs> I, I just couldn't think. I didn't want to think, and it was just the perfect fodder for my brain at the time. Have you seen any comic book That's men? That's the Kevin Smith yeah. show? No, I've I've seen the ads, and I think it's on A&E or one of the yep. like Discovery-type channels on Foxtel, but I've never actually got... Oh, it's essentially it. the same as your pickers, or, or more your porn stars or hardcore porn, yep. where they're in a comic shop, they'll have stupid conversations about certain things. People will come in trying to sell things, or people come in trying to buy things, and they'll go through the negotiation bullshit, which is obviously all set up and crap. Is it a but- work? Oh, totally. Yeah. When people turn up, I want to sell you this, and it's a Batman motorcycle replica from the thing. It's like, well, I've got to sell it for this much. Well, I can't sell it for this, but it's just cool to have the motorcycle. And they go, can we go for a ride in it? Yeah, sure. And they'll go and have... So, I mean, it's all set up plots like that. But the fact that it's about comic books, all the stuff they're talking about, it's interesting to see anyway, whether it's real or not. There is some silly moments where they go a bit crazy and sort of like, oh, I think we should have a kid's party. Let's start having kid's party in the store. And obviously everything goes to shit. Like, it's all just set up for failure. But that sort of stuff, take it or leave it. But they have stupid conversations like, oh, who would you fuck? Essentially, which superhero would they do? So if you could have any superpower, what would it be? Or what's your favourite robot? So they have these geeky conversations that I've been known to have in the past. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's like... yeah. So for so, me, it was a perfect brain-dead TV. It's Kevin Smith. It's Walt Flanagan as well, isn't it? Yeah, Walt Flanagan runs the runs shop. Runs the shop, yeah. So Kevin, it starts pretty much bookends, and throughout the show is you've got all the staff of the store. It's yep. Kevin's store that he either owns with or Walt runs. Yep. And Walt's his mate from Rabbit. From and Brian Black, Johnson yeah. is one of them, who's this grumpy old bearded guy who is the inspiration for Kevin to make movies. Oh, okay. Like it was, a sh- I think either Kevin worked on his short film or something to that effect. That- yep. So these are very important people in Kevin's life. And they're just a bunch of dicks. <laughs> but they're my kind of dicks. Yeah. yeah, so you book in with them in a studio just talking about things. And then they might say, oh, and this guy bought this thing into the store. And Kevin's like, oh, my God, that's like this. And they'll talk about it. And then they'll cut to the footage of it happening. And then they'll cut back. And Kevin's just so likable. You just His yeah. enthusiasm is just amazing. Like, See, I don't know. I went through a stage where I really liked Kevin Smith. And then I got to the point where I thought, well, maybe he's just a bit too pretentious. 
Uh, he's enthusiastic, but he's, what he's enthusiastic about is what I like too. Yeah, exactly. So that's that's what I like about it. And then you sort of you finish off, and like I said, brainless fun. Exactly. Like it's disposable. It's okay. it's not important. But since the family's all together, and there's a lot of breastfeeding involved, you sort of sit down at all hours of the day, and. Because I am a man and feel useless in this whole period. Because <laughs> you cannot do anything. You can change nappies. That's about it. I can make cups of tea. <laughs> so we're sort of like, all right, let's sit down. And you got like, you know, breastfeeding, 22 minutes of boob. That's a typical sitcom sort of <laughs> timing. So we have, and I've had on the hard drive sitting there, five seasons of How I Met Your Mother. We're that far behind. So let's just say in the last week and a half, we have got through a season and a half, or nearly two seasons of How I Met Your Mother. Okay. Just in time for the finale. Well, I noticed today's episode was a two double, so I think that might be finale. We still haven't got up to who's... I think the mother's been revealed a while ago, but we haven't got that far yet. I've probably only watched one or two episodes in the whole course of its run. I mean, it's funny watching so much so short. It's an interesting show. I like it a lot. It's. I love the surreal aspect of it, because they'll have weird takes on things like there's one where they inherited a house so they lived in an apartment in new york they inherited a house like in long island so they went up there and it was this massive house they weren't planning on moving they were going to sell it and they came back it's like we're gonna live there this is amazing and everything felt small when they got back and they'd actually made a replica set of the apartment but it was like (laughs) a third the size so everything's tiny the doorways are tiny so it's like friends but friends was just a bit i can't go back and watch friends yeah i know it was important show at the time but i like seinfeld so much more Friends just seemed to... I don't know. There's something about it. It's probably a better show. And because it's sort of told with an unreliable narrator, it's this weird... They play with structure on this show so much better. Like, Friends was very straightforward. They never moved on from telling that same sort of story. There was no weird episodes. Yeah. The best episode is the football episode. Yeah, or the, the um, Thanksgiving. Super Bowl. Yeah. So Thanksgiving or Thanks, Super Bowl? Thanksgiving. And they go and play football yeah. in the park. Best episode. Yes. Yes, by far. But yeah, I um, gave up. But I'm digging this, but again, it's disposable. I'm not. Okay. But yeah, that's fine. Anything else? Yeah, we've started True Detective, but that's a bit heavy. So, you know. Yeah, well, I've got it all sitting there, but I've. I'm, I, originally, I thought I'd hold off and watch it once it was all on but i'm getting the point now where a lot of podcasts that i'm listening to yeah i'm trying to starting to do a bit spoiler we're all a bit like, tired oh, and stuff yeah, but so yeah so i'm like we're the same we're three episodes in can't listen to the spoilers yeah we're, we're so. three eps in so we want to get through it but it's a matter of finding a time when we're, we're awake enough to yeah. really appreciate it because it's sort of the anti-csi yeah where it's csi is all plot no character like yeah. it's purely the elaborateness of the 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 killing or the the crime and how they figure out how it happened. Yeah. Where this is three episodes in, there's one murder and there's a lot of talking. So yeah. it's all character moving forward to something. And it's intense and it's amazing, but there's not a lot happening except purely drama through character. From what I've heard, though, I think everyone says if you can get through the first three, it then picks up quite a bit. Well, I'm enjoying it, but it is slow. Yeah. That's, what, eight hours of of episodes hour-long episodes so maybe over the easter break i might get a chance to because yeah like you i don't want to spoil not that i don't know if there is a spoil but i just want to get it before i know anything about it exactly that's probably a good idea oh well i've been watching a little bit of youtube tv as i said before I've, i've got back into the wrestling leading up to wrestlemania which is coming up in the states this weekend but i've been on youtube and i've watched two quite different looks at wrestling in a Scottish 
program that was on the ITV channel in England, which is based around ICW, I think they were, which is insane championship wrestling in based out of Glasgow in Scotland. Mm. And it was quite weird watching this little Scottish indie promoter decide that having his local nightclub show have, you know, a couple of hundred people he should try and sell out, like one of the biggest nightclubs in Glasgow that held like 1,100 people. And just the whole idea of him and his little ragtag sort of circus bunch of performers putting on the show, which was kind of interesting. Do you know what he needed? What to The cast of the Valleys. He probably did. To take Valleywood there and promote it for them. That would have been great. They said, that is a little bit of telly we have been watching. Yeah, we forgot to mention that, didn't we? Season three of The Valleys is on. It's as shit as ever. (laughs) Yes. But equally sort of local, I think, with the fact that the Scottish people have their own very Scottish ways. For local people. Yeah, for locals only. Mm. There's one scene where they all decide that they're going to do this big booking meeting and they all get drunk and then the next morning they're all drinking cans of iron brew to recover. (laughs) And I thought, oh, I haven't had a can of iron brew in a long time, but yes. And the, the other doco I watched was another strange English doco, which was based around the Knight family. Mary Poppins? No, no, I haven't seen Mr. Banks yet. But based around the Knight family, which are like this very well-known English wrestling family based out of Norfolk. And their claim to fame is, it's basically, no, that'd be Cornwall. But it's a husband and wife that then had a few kids and they run a wrestling promotion. But their youngest daughter is now signed to NXT WWE as Paige. And she's been the NXT Divas champion for a little while. And this doco basically revolved around them sort of struggling in their local shows in England. So are they England? England, Norfolk, yeah. so... Yeah, so yeah, he's a real sort of rough-looking dude with not many teeth left. And he's very much the... How you expect a, a dodgy promoter to kind of look. Carney type. Yeah. Mm. And he talks about how he's been around since the heyday of British wrestling when it was Big you know, World of Sports and Big Daddy and Giant Haystacks. And he just hasn't got out of it sort of thing. And he talks about how he's done like a couple of prison stints for like roughing people up and stuff. And, you know, it was either go away for a long stretch or, or turn himself legit and become a wrestler. And yeah, it was a very weird sort of program. But it, it revolved around his second eldest son, sorry, second youngest son, Zach, and his daughter, who is now Paige, going for their tryouts for WWE to see if they would get in. And... It was basically that the son was all lived, breathed wrestling since he was born, whereas the daughter had kind of just got into it because that's what her parents did, and and she just happened to have natural talent. But the problem, I mean, I don't know how good this Zach was, but if your dad's so into it, and I assume running promotions and things like that, going from that place in a position to one of the tryout boys with no clout, you were told, this is how it works, that would be very hard and that would be a problem. Pretty much the minute Paige walked in there, they signed her and said, you're what we're looking for, whereas the brother was kind of like, you know, you're too fat, you're not in shape, you can't do the, the moves that we want you to do sort of thing. And he was then torn between being excited that his sister got signed and not being excited that he didn't get signed. But the whole promotion that they run is basically the dad's the booker, the older brother's like the main heel, and the, the younger brother that was going for the tryout was like the, the major babyface sort of thing. And then, yeah, as I said, the the daughter was only thrown in because you know someone had called in sick that day and they needed someone to wrestle, and suddenly she's now a, a major star. Wow. 
but it kind of reminded me a lot of some of the local promotions here in Australia that I've worked for where you look at the crowd and the crowd, you know, you can count the number of teeth on one hand in the front row sort of thing. And some of these shows were very much like that. So just goes to show you can watch. I think the indie scene all over the world is the same. There's only the big. I think so. It's very much a, a huge divide that you have like the big deal of WWE and then you have these like little... It drops off very yeah. quickly. Like, I mean, a lot of friends like saw The Wrestler and they go, oh my God, that movie. It's like, yeah. It's like, you know, like when you look yeah. at him when Is he's... it really like that? Yeah. It's like, pretty much. Yeah. Like, especially when he's wrestling in front of the small crowds in the indie... And they're pretty big indie shows like, yeah. compared to what we had. But yeah, yeah it's exactly. like, it, it does drop off to that level. But yeah, if, if you want to see a bit of, I guess, a background of how people get into the WWE, it was quite exciting. Excellent. Well, yes. I have been watching other TVs, but what I have done... I mean, I know you're a YouTube person and you iViewer a lot of shows with your kids. Yeah. But I have started using the iView app on the Xbox quite a bit. Okay. And I've been catching up on Mad as Hell. Oh, the Sean McAuliffe show. It is hilarious. Oh, okay. It is so clever and so funny. I love He's that. He's quite intelligent, Sean McAuliffe. It is. I so do like his humour. It is really, really good. Like, for an Aussie comedy to be that clever and that consistent. Like, you look at The Daily Show, they do it every day. Yeah. But they also have, like, 20 Harvard graduates on the writing team. So, yeah. you know, it's... But mad as hell. Can recommend. It's fantastic. Okay. But also, been using the iView app. And then, I know on my other podcast, Geek Dudes, yep. fresh on that, has been spruiking using Unblockus and getting Netflix and Hulu Plus and the WWE Network and all these sort of things. Now, it's sort of like, I've been thinking about it for a while. And I don't have Foxtel or anything like that. And it's yep. like, maybe I'll look into it. I'm home for a bit. Sally's up at all hours, breastfeeding. You know, let's... It's free trial. You get a, I think it's a fortnight free trial of Getflix, which is the unblockus, which is the geo blocker. So okay. it pretends you can makes your server or your um, what are they called an IP mask or something, so it doesn't know you're in Australia. Something like that. It so you can outside of America. Yeah, so it tells you you can actually go and change countries. Yeah, I did a bit of research and I found out. And unblockus was the one that's been around for a while, and there was another one, and more recently there's one called Getflix, which is an Australian based one. Okay. So for around three dollars a month, basically you get a cert, an address for a DNS server, which makes it look like your PC in America. Okay. So you get given a DNS server. You go to your Xbox and you type it in, and it says, "Oh, by the way, you're in America." So you set up an American account, and then you can download the Netflix app yep. for the Xbox, and you can get a month free okay. Netflix account trial. Yep. So I've got two weeks trial with Netflix, and I've got a month trial with Netflix, and just the content that's there. It's just so much stuff. And I was like, this is great. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's just it's just there. It means I'm downloading so much, so therefore I've got hard drive space I can clear up because it's, it's sort of like, even the other stuff, like, I love, like, because I catch it Saturday mornings when I wake up, I turn on Channel 9 and there's Batman Brave and the Bold, which is a fantastic show. Yep. It is so fun. You know, the DVDs for these cartoons, like Justice League for the, the same, they bought them out, like, in volumes, like, season one, volume one, and yeah. all this. And they're, like, 15 bucks, and you got four episodes on a disc, and it was just really not good value. And what I want is one disc with it all on it. You know, I don't want to be, and I don't even want to be getting discs anymore. You know, exactly. So downloading is the illegal way, and it's like, well, at least with Netflix, yes, I'm using a geo blocker to buy from another country, so I'm bypassing the rights holders here in Australia. But there is no equivalent here. Yeah, exactly. So I'm paying for that, but I'm also playing Netflix. So therefore, my money is going to the content providers. Yeah. So at least I'm paying the providers. Like, the people who made the content are getting money from me. So I'm feeling a lot better about myself. 
So they didn't have an issue with the fact that you haven't got an American credit card? Uh, I'm still using the trial, oh, okay. but um, I haven't had to pay yet. But I plan on doing it. I paid Netflix this, yep. this week, so I'm all good to go there. And I think it's okay. Like yeah, I don't think Netflix cares where the money from comes probably, from. Probably, because I know when I originally set up my US account on the Xbox, when I first tried to buy something in the days before you could link a PayPal account to it, it didn't like my credit card. And it sort of said, your credit card's not an American credit card. But then the way around that is they then introduced PayPal, so I've just got it linked to my PayPal. Well, I haven't looked. Maybe that'll be the yeah. way to do it. But maybe yeah, so it's. Yeah. But this the sheer amount of stuff that's on there. Like I went through the website, and you can just look at what's there and just like add it to your list of wish lists. Almost yep. it's like, oh, these are things I want to watch. Add that. Add that. Add that. It's a very obscure stuff of Japanese horror and kids cartoons. It's weird, but um, yeah. and it's not just TV. It's, it's movies. As TVs well. and movies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like nothing super new. Like, there are new stuff. Like, I think Archer's sort of up-to-date, and obviously you were watching House of Cards. Yep. That's all up-to-date, obviously, because it's yeah. made for it. So I think it's a good 12 months away, but there's making some Marvel oh, content okay. for Netflix. So it's yep. a Daredevil series, Luke Cage, um, Heroes for Hire, and I think a Jessica Jones series or something. Okay. So there's ground-level Marvel shows made for Netflix, so it means I can watch that without having to download it illegally. I can watch it legitimately, sort of. So um, I can rec- can't recommend enough for, like... And Netflix is, like, $7 US, $8 yeah, US exactly. a month. That's I, I don't mind paying that for content. Like, my wife's been watching Charmed as a pregnancy thing, so I've had the, the first two seasons on DVD for her, and they're, like, 25 bucks a season, which yeah. is it's just fine. That's nothing. But it's all on Netflix now. So, okay. technically, watching the next six seasons, that's... Over a hundred bucks worth. Yeah, where it's paid for itself. And how's the quality? That. Fine. Like it, it, it starts off a bit pixelated, like yeah. for a minute or so, and you think, oh, it's a bit dodgy, and then a few minutes later, you realise it's crystal clear and so perfect. It's like buffering or something. So it must buffer yeah. a, a bit at the start, but yeah, no problems, no dropouts. It, it runs really, really well. So can't recommend it enough if okay. you want that because you've got Foxtel. Yeah. And I was thinking, with a kid coming along, we don't have access because back in my day, if I missed my cartoons, that was it. I was done. You yeah. know, news Saturday was morning, on. That, that was, was it. it. Yep. And that's why you appreciated things a lot more. Now you've got kids come over to visit and it's like, where's High Five? It's like, we don't have it. It's like, what do you mean you don't have it? Yeah. You know, it's like, isn't it on your IQ? Isn't it this? You know, yeah, we exactly. don't have it when you want. Now, all right, with iView, we can do a lot of catch-up TV with kids programming, so yep. that's fine. But having Netflix, there's so much there yeah. when I want it. But something I did watch that had a lot of the old Doctor Who. I watched one episode of that because I could. And then it's got all the seasons of the original 1950s. 60s um, Twilight Zone. Oh, and awesome. I'm, I'm working my way through that. Oh, okay. It's like, that's great. It's just really, really good. Well, that sounds pretty good. Mm. I might have to check that out. Well, that was TV. What about movies, Mitch? You said you haven't really watched much? No. I mean, just haven't had the time. Like, we can watch things in 20-minute bursts, or uh, while I'm gaming, I might put something stupid on. I did put The Black Hole the other day. I don't know why. I sort of went through this weird Disney kick, and then that, that weird, obscure Disney period of, like, late 70s to the mid 80s when it was dark and weird when they made the black cauldron and oh, okay. sword in the stone and those sort of films but yeah and i was thinking about the black hole and i thought oh yeah, let's check that out and i watched it and it's slow it looks great but yeah that maximilian freaky looking robot always scared me <laughs> i don't think i've seen it maybe i should check that out yeah. well speaking of disney i've seen their latest offering and that's mm-hmm. the their animated feature frozen the highest grossing animated film ever, I think I read today. Really? And like, it's in the top 15 grossing films ever. I was like, it's grossed over a billion dollars. I kind of enjoyed it. I wouldn't say I enjoyed it as much as Brave, or probably not even as much as, say, like the latest Toy Stories or anything like that, the Pixar type stuff. You could tell 
that it was Disney. All the characters had that real Disney look about them. And the songs in it were really good, but there was just a couple of characters in it that were really annoying. Not for you. Yeah, I don't know. Kids? Were the kids characters or just... Well, it's kind of like the comedy relief sidekick yeah. sort of character. Well, they're not for you. No, not for me. I, I will say, though, I enjoyed the singing. I thought the singing in it was really good. And then my wife was telling me afterwards that they've kind of made it a movie with the intent to turn it into a stage show. Well, that's there's so many Disney-inspired Broadway shows now. There's Beauty yep. and the Beast, The Lion King, Little Mermaid, I mean, Paper Boys or whatever it is, which is an old Christian Bale movie from the early 90s. Okay. But they've turned that into a musical. So there is big money in Broadway shows now that's travelling. I mean, when we went over last year, or the year before, sorry, they said, you know, there were two tickets you couldn't get tickets for at Half Ticks. Yeah. Like, if you, half ticks is where if you go on the day, you queue up and you try and get tickets to a show and they're half price. It's a thing. Yeah. You can do it in London as well. And there were Wicked and The Lion King were the two shows that just never have half have ticks friends. available. Yeah. And The Lion King has been around for years. Yeah. And it's coming to Melbourne soon. It's been in Sydney for a while here. So there's a few around the world showing this show that is a long, long... It's got longevity. Yeah. So there's obviously good money in it. Beauty and the Beast ran for a long time and makes sense. Yeah. That Disney know how to make money? Well, they Connect games? It it was funny because there was a bit of, allegedly a bit of internet controversy over the fact that, you know, about Frozen. The only thing I can see that's controversial about it is the main female character doesn't fall head over heels in love with a man at the end of the movie. She's quite an independent sort of person. But I didn't see any controversy to it. As I said, it was just your normal sort of Disney fair. Bits of it were quite good. The animation was was crisp. But I don't know. I don't think it's as good as everyone said it was. But again, it might not be aimed at me. But yes. And juxtaposed to that, speaking of strong female characters in film, I also saw The Heat starring Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy. You see, I just wouldn't. Well, I looked at the trailers for that going, yeah, I, I don't need to see that in my lifetime. Yeah, I kind of had it sitting, again, sitting on the hard drive for a little while and I hadn't really got around to watching it. And I've been listening to the About Last Night podcast, which is Brad Williams and Adam Ray. And Adam Ray's actually in the heat as one of the bad guys in it. And he's been kind of shilling it a bit on his podcast. And I thought, well, he's kind of funny on his podcast. Maybe I should watch it. And I'm glad I did. Mm. Like I have never heard a woman swear as much as Melissa McCarthy swears in this movie and some of the stuff she says is quite intuitive Sandra Bullock plays that sort of snotty-nosed, by-the-book sort of FBI agent quite well and Melissa McCarthy's the local Boston cop and they join up to solve a crime. Not much more you can say to it. It's kind of like a buddy cop film of odd couple. But yeah, it, it was more enjoyable than I thought it was. I really actually got a, okay. a fair bit out of it. So If I catch I it know. one day, maybe, but I'm not going to... Yeah, I wouldn't go out of your way to see it, but if it's on, I'd say give it a chance. Okay. And another movie, speaking of things on demand, I actually... On the Foxtel Go app on the iPad, I sat down the other night and watched American Psycho again when I realised I hadn't actually watched it since it first came out because I was flicking through what they had on their movies on demand and thought, yeah, I'll give this a go. And it just reminded me how much of a good actor Christian Bale is. Like, he can just throw himself into any role and he is that person. Uh, Uh, Bruce Wayne, no. It's weird. Like, yes, he's method. One thing, he does things that shit me. Like, he's, he was doing promotional interviews for American Hustle. Yeah. And he was doing the interviews in American accent. I was like, no, I really? Yeah, see, that's Dude, you're not American. He's Welsh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From the fatherland. Yes. 
But yeah, it, I don't know. I, I quite enjoyed American Psycho. Like, I was a big fan I, of the book. I think I've seen it. I and think I've the seen movie's it. very different to the book, but in its own right, there's still bits of it that I really I mean, it enjoyed. is a strange told book. So, I mean, it's almost a strange told story. Now, I think I've, I've definitely seen bits of American Psycho. I know I've seen American Psycho 2 with Mila Kunis. But it all could be in his head. Is that yeah. something you've read? Like In the book, it's very much, when you get to the end, it's kind of like, is this real or is it just him in his own psyche sort fantasy. of thing? And they kind of do that in the movie, but not quite as much as they do in the book. Okay. But there's there's certain scenes in the movie that I get a lot out of. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember that one of the funniest things I've seen in the movie, and I remember seeing that scene, I wasn't watching it at the time, I just sort of flicked it over one day, it was on was when they was comparing business, business cards, cards yeah. and just how angry he was because his well, font was so much better. Well, that's like, a oh. whole chapter in the book. And it's, it's, it, that is fantastic. They, yeah, and they go in depth in the book about like the paper stock and the colour and you know the watermark and all that sort of stuff. And there is a scene in the, in the movie where and they do that. I love that scene. So I probably... I don't think I've seen it. I've, I've definitely seen a lot of it, but yeah. whether I've actually watched it start to finish, I'm not really sure. Yeah, interesting. Mm. Well, Definitely not of, Frozen, that's for sure. No, definitely not Frozen. Well, the, speaking the of older movies, it's probably a good time for us to now jump into our topic, yep. which is the quintessential 90s movie. Well, not so quintessential now, because we didn't get very far. Because well, we, we did try to narrow it down to a small list, which is essentially what we've watched. But when we got down to it, it was so much bigger than this list did not encompass the quintessential 90s. No. But originally, the premise that we were going to do for this episode, or this, this topic, was movies that you watched... And you just thought... That is so 90s. Yeah, that's the 90s. That's so right. It is. And then some of them, not so right. <laughs> but I think I think this probably stemmed from when we watched Pump Up the Volume a couple of months ago. Yep. And we realised that people just weren't likeable in the 90s. Well, we've got a few movies that we watched where that seemed to happen. I was a, a rad again. There were that, uh, to steal right, from the bad, 80s, bad movie, right. movie fiends. Yep. Arstagonists. Yes. They were like the protagonists were assholes. But you were meant to root for them because the villain of the movies were more of an asshole. That's the only reason they weren't actually likable. Yeah, and sort of. So we sort of that came across with Pump Up the Volume, which is 1990. Yes, it was 1990. So we sort of looked at that. So we thought, what's a 90s film? Because we were talking about 80s movies being, oh, that's so 80s. Yeah, and it's like, what makes a 90s film? And the thing is with 80s, I mean, you, a 1981 film is a bit different from a 1989 film. But, yeah, exactly. But you're something like Rad was such an 80s film. So yeah. we thought, what's what's a 90s film? And we bought up a bunch of movies and we, you bought up Pulp Fiction. It's like, yeah, but it's a 70s film. Yeah. Even though, it, yes, it's the 90s. It was made in the 90s, but it kind of feels, feels like, like a, a 70s, 70s film. Feels like a 70s movie. But it is so 90s as well in yeah. the fact that it, it and Clerks sort of changed films yeah. in a lot of ways. So there were so many copycats in that we can just talk. There's a movie where the protagonist can talk well, about what I, nothing. That's what I love about Clerks is the fact that Clerks is an R-rated movie purely for the language in it. Yes. And the the concept of Probably some just of the for that one scene where he's ordering porno movies. But. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, but, but Clerks, as you said, Clerks kind of changed a lot of cinema. Well, yeah. indie cinema as well. Like yeah. Reservoir Dogs, I suppose, led into Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Where it's like, you can make these movies. And actors are getting a chance to act. Yeah. And people are going to see these sort of films. 
And then Pulp Fiction blew it out of the water. It was such a big thing. Now, it was released by Bonavista, which is Disney, to keep with the theme. But it was their biggest grossing film that year, Bonavista. So Disney's biggest grossing film was Pulp Fiction. But you look at the cast in it, it made Samuel Jackson a star. It reinvigorated John Travolta's career. Bruce Willis was involved. Uma Thurman. Thing raised in his band-aid. Yeah, invented him as a... He went on to make things. And and it was dialogue-driven. Yeah. It's very 70s. Yeah. But it's a, a nod to the 70s with a modern take. In the same way the Big Chill changed the soundtrack to movies, this, again, brought that soundtrack into being such a... You can't think of Preacher Man yeah, without exactly. thinking of Pulp Fiction. Yeah. It, it's, it's so important. The music is so intertwined with that film beautifully. And that's something that Tarantino really does a lot of and we noticed that as well we watched True Romance and written by Tarantino but directed by Tony, Tony Scott. Scott but you could still see you could see Tarantino's Tarantino. in there yeah. but you could see the music choices were Tony Scott because there was a strong musical influence in there yeah. but you go Tarantino would not have done that yeah you exactly. just there's bits of dialogue here and there and so this has got Tarantino so throughout it and then you got Tony Scott bits in there as well so yeah. it's a very it's a hybrid of a movie that doesn't quite you know you want to see a Tony well it is a Tony Scott version because it was who was Tarantino back then he was just yeah, a exactly. script writer but, but you again, almost want to see the Tarantino version of that movie because it would be very very different well from what we were reading in the trivia it was was it Natural Born Killers and True Romance were the two scripts that were kind of intertwined as one story that yeah kind of he wrote both when, and they, when they changed them yeah but, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, see, to me, I love Pulp Fiction back in the 90s. I can remember I actually took a day off work so I could go and watch it, like, opening day at the cinema. Oh, wow. And I can remember it was, like, a, an 11 o'clock session and it was actually quite a full cinema because there was just so much hype behind it. I haven't watched it recently. I've, I've watched Pulp Fiction a lot, but I, I can't say I've watched it recently, so I don't really know how it holds up. I think it would. I, yeah, I think it would, purely for the fact that it is just so well-written. And acted. yeah. Like, yeah, it's just, just it's a such an iconic movie nowadays. Exactly. Because I mean, I loved Tarantino then at the time because I loved Reservoir Dogs. Like yeah. I remember catching that at the Valhalla back in the day, not really knowing anything about it, knowing there was a bit of buzz in the indie scene, you know, the yeah. alt, alt scene. Going, it's a really good film. Going and being blown away by this film because it was during my coming of age of discovering films. I've talked about Barton Fink and those sort of things. Yeah. This was probably a year later yeah. and it was like wow this this is great these actors are good who's this um, Harvey Keitel or Harvey, Roth? Harvey Keitel yeah. who's, who's this Harvey guy this is he's amazing and obviously it was around that and Sister Act sort of came out at a really similar time yeah. I never, I still haven't seen Thelma and Louise <laughs> but yeah he just sort of turned up and yeah. came it's like Tommy Lee Jones after The Fugitive sort of like he was in movies yeah he's been around for ages and then boof yeah. getting back to the not likeable characters though in the 90s I was always a big fan of the movie Clueless. Yes, you made me watch that. And we, yeah, we sat down and watched that again. And you still, I kind of like bits of it. And who can't like Paul Rudd? Seriously, you have a major (laughs) boner for Paul Rudd. Yes, I've got a bit of a man crush on Paul Rudd, but I just found Alicia Silverstone's character not likable. Well, I I never liked. I've only seen the movie once, and I've caught. It's been on telly plenty of times, so I've caught bits and pieces here and there. Yeah, and I never liked it from the get-go it's like and it was a huge hit like it was massive yeah and i know it's a remake of jane austen or something based on jane austen's emma yeah so i knowing that now watching it recently with you knowing that it's based on a jane austen book it's like it makes sense you're looking at the things play out it's a very victorian it's very that class system i get it yeah but at the time watching it why what how and 
I didn't like her. Like, she's the star of it. I, I get it. She's meant to be vague and vacuous and vain. Yeah. Like, all the V words. And she's all those things, yet you're meant to like her. I was like, but she's not what... She's nice, because she is clueless. I get the name's Clueless, so I understand she is clueless, and at the end, she gets a clue. Yeah. That That's the plot. That's the story. Sorry to spoil it for anyone. But I didn't care that she did. I always felt at the end, it's like, finally, you got it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's the point. I don't know if it's that subtle and I'm not getting it, but it was just like, for God's... Why do I care about all your stupidness? And your friends are stupid. The... Uh, yeah, I don't know. It just and yeah, the antagonist was but the. Interestingly, uh, it did have one of the things that cropped up quite a bit when we were looking at tropes from '90s movies. That it had the band of the moment in playing a, a scene just for the hell of it because they are the band of the moment. Yeah. So she goes to a party and the mighty mighty Boston's are playing. That's the impression I got. Yeah, anyway. exactly. <laughs> and the fashion was '90s. Yeah. So when you say what is a '90s film? No, right, Pulp Fiction is '90s because it is so iconic for that time. Yep. And it dictated so many copycats going forward. You can't say a more 90s looking movie than Clueless as far as the fashion goes. Yeah. Well, Clueless was 1995, so it's smack bang in the middle of the decade. It's kind of found its feet with what you're going to have as the look of a 90s movie. Mm. But then after that, we redeemed ourselves and we actually watched a bit of a better example of a 90s film. And another movie that completely changed cinema admittedly much later in 1999 and that was fight club because again when we said what's a movie that makes you think 90s fight club was one of the ones that just came to mind instantly and in the same way it picks a moment and the zeitgeist of the time now we didn't watch singles and I, i couldn't be bothered going back to it now i think that you can't get much more 90s than singles but it's cameron crowe it's set in the seattle scene it's the band and the music I liked at the time, but I remember watching it when it came out, being so excited to see this movie and being utterly bored shitless, I couldn't tell you what happened. I think there's a scene where Matt Dillon's sitting on a park bench. That's as far as... That's yeah. all I can remember. Well, you're doing better than me because the only scene I remember is when he puts new speakers in the back of your shitty little hatchback and he blows his back window out because there's too much I didn't even remember that. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's how much I don't want to go back. But at least, I mean, as far as fashion, music, blah, 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 you are yeah. going to... It's a time capsule of that era and time. Yeah, it just makes me think of that Screaming Trees song because I think that's what he's the, playing when he, when he blows his speakers out. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, Fight Club. Good soundtrack. It, it was like what the yuppie movies is in like... Um, Wall Street. Wall Street. I was going to say Wolf of Wall Street, but no. Wall Street. Greed is good. That's such a yuppie 80s Reagan movie. Yep. Fight Club is of its time. It's the end of the yuppies. It's the new. It's pre-hipster. It's that Ikea generation. It's the where are we? And it's almost you take on that clueless mentality. They refuse older. You take yep. on the singles people that are the alts. I suppose you'd call them the grunge era. Yeah. They're all got their jobs now. They've got their money. They're buying their Ikea furniture. Yeah. And this is the establishment has got to where it is today, the clueless people. Yeah. And it's like, what the fuck? And it's sort of the, the, the eye-opener to saying, what? what? This yeah, is what happened. It is, it is 10 years on from Pump Up the Volume, and it is for those people who are 10 years older than Pump Up the Volume, Yeah, where you are literally... I'm 10 years older now. I've gone and had my job. I've bought my car. I've bought the fashion. I'm one of them. I'm yeah. a corporate slave. I, I totally bought into all this sort of stuff. And in the same way, it's the liberation, in the same way Pump Up the Volume did, of like, no, 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 fight the power. <laughs> yeah, well, it is anti-consumerism, isn't it? And if you haven't seen Fight Club, where I don't know what you're doing, 
because you're, you're the wrong demographic. Yeah, exactly. People, you're really not listening. You to the probably right are podcast. our age. You've been this. Is- but there's just I I hadn't seen Fight Club for a long time, and watching it again, it was like I'd just seen it like yesterday. It's and it feels like a modern it. film, yeah. and that's the thing. I mean, yes, it is over ten years old now, but it feels modern. So, in the same way, Pulp Fiction will probably feel modern because it is not dated. It is. It's got that 70s look and feel and vibe. The cars aren't new. It's not a modern soundtrack. Pop fiction will look uh, and feel. I don't know. Like Fight Club definitely had a modern soundtrack because it had the sort of that electronica sort of feel of the time. But it's not going to feel dated yet. No. Give it, give it, an, it will. Yeah. It's like, it's not like movies of today that are filled with dubstep and stuff like that, that 10 years from now you're going to look at and think, my God, do people listen to that? Because, I mean, one thing we didn't get around to watching was The Matrix. Yeah. Which was also 99. It's a fucking great year of movies, I can tell you now. Yeah. But the music in that will have dated Chemical Brothers or... Well, Fight Club's the Dust Brothers, so it's mm. the same sort of ilk as but it's, what was in The Matrix. It's not, but they, it doesn't have the soundtrack or, sorry, the music-accompanied action set piece. Yeah. So it's almost like a film clip. It, yeah, it, it adds exactly. to the film and by well, it undertones the film. It's a score. It's not a soundtrack. Versus set pieces set to contemporary music. Yeah. So therefore, yeah, you go back now and it's, oh, that's a 13-year-old song overlaid with really cool special effects. That being said, though, I think the final bit of The Matrix where that Rage Against the Machine wake up's playing, like that to me is still awesome. Yeah, because we—that's how we were. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't know. There's characters in Fight Club, like the whole Helena Bottom Carter character, could be anywhere. It could be seventies, could be sixties. Tyler Durden's yeah. fashion is straight out. Yeah, of you anywhere. can't. And the fact that they're living in this sort of ramshackled house with not much electricity and very bad running water and stuff. Again, it could be sixties, seventies, twenties. It could be anything really. Yeah, so I mean, it's just an amazing film. Great book, and what he has done with that book that really shouldn't... Hard to film. He's turned it into and improved on in a lot of ways. The, the book. It, yep. It's a fantastic movie. And I'm not saying they got better in the 90s. I mean, there's still great movies in the 90s, but that just really sort of picked the era, picked what it was, where we're at. And in the same way, at that age, when I saw Pump Up the Volume, I was ready to fight the power at yep. the end of it. Watching Fight Club at the end, I wanted to go get into a fight not yeah. because I hated anyone because I wanted to feel alive you know it's that it grabbed me at the right time again so these movies were made at the right time for me so yeah. I'll probably be watching Daddy Daycare or Grown Ups or something <laughs> next because you know that's that's my next thing because with kids and that you don't fight the power anymore you, you change but this is those things happen at the perfect time for me when you're in that position to make a choice make a change and, you know, is that why there's so many hipsters, so many vegans, so many this, so many that? I don't know if that's actually be. impacted on it. Because if, if I saw Fight Club when I was 12 or 15, that would totally change the way I watch everything and consume everything. And especially going into that internet age when I was a yeah. bit more older. But if I was a little bit younger going in and say, I have access to this knowledge. I can look for this. I can look for the true story, not the one you've been telling me. And I don't have to. I don't have to toe the line. There are there are options and alternatives, and it's just well, it's kind of that same sort of stage where we saw pump up the volume when we were just finishing high school. We're mm-hmm. just moving into the world, and it it opens up for you. And if you were an eighteen year old kid and you saw Fight Club, I think that'd have the same effect on you. Oh, definitely. Uh, even older, I was yeah. older than eighteen, and it did because yeah. I think it was a more mature story. It wasn't about eighteen year olds who can't talk to their parents. This is about people who are in their twenties, yeah, who are not reliant on anyone else. It's it's you. You're on your own. 
it's up to you what you do. And you're doing all this because they tell you to, but you don't, yeah, exactly. you don't know you're a slave to this. But we sort of touched on it before, but we saw clerks as well. Yeah. And I, I remember when I first saw that, not knowing anything about it, it blew me away. It's like, this is like Tarantino, but for me, yeah. like Tarantino was cool. Like yep. everything about it, especially Reservoir Dogs, when you first see that, it's not my world. This is a world of criminals. Yeah, exactly. And it's very cool to watch, but I, I like being on the other side of the screen. These yep. are not people I want to hang out with. This is not a fun situation. It's great to watch, but no. Where Clerks is like, this is me. Yeah, this is it the, is. It's- these are the smarter conversations that I want to be having because they're talking about Star Wars in relation to union disputes or, yep. you know, and this is, again, at that time, it was a perfect movie for my age, written by a guy who is me. Yeah. You know, it's like, I have it, you know, I had a kindred thing with Kevin Smith going, yes, everything he's saying, I'm buying into here. This is Well, exactly. The fact that it's quite a well-known story that he sold his comic book collection to fund the movie. He filmed it in the convenience store that he was working in overnights when the store was closed sort of thing. And that's why it's in black and white, because they couldn't get the lighting to match up when they were like filming different scenes and, and hence stuff. Why the, yeah, hence the, the shutters, shutters were closed, down. Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it is really a group of 20-somethings in shitty jobs just out of school sort of thing. And at that time, that's that's what we were. So, I mean, these are movies that, for us, were the right time for the right yeah, age. exactly. So, again, I think Clueless missed me because I wasn't a girl and I didn't find Alicia Silverstone attractive enough. I liked her outfits, but I just couldn't buy into the story. Yeah. It was just like, I was totally... And I don't know if I'm meant to buy in. This is this is what I don't get. Like, a lot more with better opinions on film than me like this movie yeah. and rate this movie. So, I'm probably missing something, but it just didn't work for me. But Clerks just spoke to me more than any other film around that era. I think it was so, just yeah. like It was like, you're my people. Yeah. And Kevin Smith proved that by making more rats. And it's like, yep, this is more my... Chasing Amy, he lost me a bit here, saying, all right, you're not... This isn't me. Yep. This isn't... But it's still, still a good film. I think it probably is better film of the three, technically, but not the most rewatchable of the three. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I really like more rats, and a lot of people don't like no, more rats. It's so... It's easy. It's easy to watch yeah, movie. Yeah, because it's fluff. Mm. Whereas, yeah, Chasing Amy is quite a deep subject matter. And Clerks, when you think about it, is quite a deep subject matter kind of put to an interesting storyline. But yeah, it's, again, it's, it's all likable, realistic characters in real life. But they're also similar to us yeah. in age and what they're into. Like the fact that they're into Star Wars and comic books and all these yep. sort of things puts it right, right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, they could be talking about sport and if it was about NFL or something and using all the analogies for NFL or basketball or something, I'd be lost. Yep. But the fact that they were using Star Wars and all these other points of reference, pop culture is what happened. It was sort of funny because Clerks and Kevin Smith uses pop culture to buy the, bind the story together. Tarantino sort of does the same, but his pop culture is 20 years earlier. Yeah, He's using like pop fiction, it's all crime movies. Reservoir Dogs, it was from a samurai movies or crime films from Japan or something yep. like that. Jackie Brown... It's exploitation movies. Yep. So he's always referencing older ones. Glorious Bastards, old. What, that's, what's the age difference between Kevin Smith and Tarantino? The beard, probably uh, 10 years. Probably 10, yeah. yeah. And you can kind of see that. Kevin Smith is that sort of early 40s now, and he still has the mentality of that kid in, the, in his 20s back in the 90s, if that makes sense. Yep. Whereas Tarantino was always basing himself off stuff that he was watching that was obscure, and he's brought it forward. To kind of say a new generation needs to watch these sort of style of movies. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting to say that Tarantino and Kevin Smith are two very different filmmakers. Yeah. 
Kevin Smith's 43, and yeah. Tarantino's 51. Yeah, so. so there is... Yeah, that's what I thought about 10 years. And that's... I mean, and the more... In the recent times, I've told you I've gone back, and Taxi Driver, Mean Streets, all these films of the 70s, yep. Tarantino grew up on those. Yeah, exactly. And they are phenomenal. And yeah. you see what he did. Like, I mean, watching True Romance, I was telling you at the time, it's like, is this a tribute to Taxi Driver? Like, little things that the costuming of... Yeah, um, like, yeah Christian Slater. Christian Slater. He had the army jacket and things like that, and sort of going to see... He wasn't going to the porn films in Taxi Driver, but he was going to see Sonny Timber movies in True Romance. And it's just yeah. sort of like little things here and there. It's like, is this your Scorsese fan wank? Cause yeah. if, or a tribute. Yeah. More a tribute, not... And it felt homage. like that, yeah. Where Kevin Smith's not really homaging specific types, but he's pulling that pop culture references from what he grew up on, and using that as analogies in his storytelling. And but they both, what they do is use dialogue, yeah. And it's purely dialogue that drives everything along. And it's, I can't remember when did Seinfeld start. Would that be around early nineties? Yeah, ninety two, I think, maybe. Because those three things, I think, really pushed talking about nothing. Yeah. Where it's all important and it's all delivered so well, but it's really about nothing. Yeah. You're talking about what, a, what a, how they say a cheeseburger in France. Talking yeah. about Death Stars and trade unions or whatever. Seinfeld's a show that's famously about nothing. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's all about... And then Fight Club, I suppose, at the end of all this, sort of turns around and says, yep, it's all about nothing. <laughs> Getting back to Fight Club, though, I think Fight Club is probably Brad Pitt's best acting I've ever seen him in. Oh, for the druggy and true romance. Well, yeah. he was pretty good in true romance. <laughs> Although, I did go back and watch Seven by yep. myself after we'd watched Fight Club together, and I didn't think that Seven held up quite as well as Fight okay. Club did. Well, something interesting I didn't realise, but star of the moment, Mr. Michael Bay... Yeah. Apparently, like, there was a film clip house or something. Like, the, all the IT directors were sort of coming out of this one house doing all film clips and things like that. Okay. And David Fincher was, like, the poster boy of this house. And Michael yeah. Bay was what they used to call was Little Fincher or something like that, Little David. Yeah. And he'd just basically follow David around. Go, oh, okay. oh, how about this? How about this? And, yeah, he wanted to do the I'll Do Anything for Love But I Won't Do That by Meatloaf. Yeah. Like, he had an idea for this clip and it was going to cost, like, $4 million or something. Okay. And Fincher that's my price I can't do it any cheaper I go oh Michael can you do it and he goes yeah I can do it so he actually <laughs> did the clip pretty much yeah. a, a David Fincher's clip yeah. in that so it's fun, hard to believe like you look at Michael Bay movies now and they're definitely more Tony Scott films I would think than a David Fincher thing yeah. but he's obviously influenced by those sort of people and gone yeah. on past that I mean David Fincher's gone on to make you know, Zodiac and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo as opposed to Transformers and yeah. things like that but interesting that they came out of the same place yeah and, I mean, what's name started it all? Tony Scott, who did True Romance, started it all back in 86 with Top Gun. Yeah. Like, when he made that, like, they got him on board to direct this movie, and it's about aeroplanes and this and that, and he wanted to make a realistic sort of movie. And they go, no, 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 no. And I think it was Don Simpson was the pro- producer or whatever. And they go, we want this sort of feel. And they gave him a VCR videotape, and it was of MTV. It was just video clips. Yeah. And that's what he used to make Top Gun. You look at it now, and you go, okay. But it has yeah. set the tone for Michael Bay movies from then on. Just the look, the feel, those sunsets, the montages. The... Yeah, and, and Tony Scott was an art film director really beforehand. Yeah, it's interesting because there's quite a few current directors that got their, their big start making video clips. And you can kind of see the influence of a lot of these people coming in. Whereas you get your Kevin Smith that was just your art school sort of indie kid. 
and he was making that indie sort of film. Tarantino was making films that were based on... Well, he, he was working in a video watching. library yeah. and just watching films, yeah, exactly. and he had his scripts in his head. And anyone who would listen, he could tell you Reservoir Dogs from start to finish. In, like, 45 minutes, he will tell you the plot, the dialogue, everything that would happen. He had it down, the pitch down, perfect, because this is what he did. He worked in a video library. It was like a cool video library, I think, so it was where... In LA, where people yeah, went, exactly. you had it wasn't, to go. It wasn't your blockbuster or whatever. Yeah. It was so, it, it, so yeah. you, the right people in the know saw him and he talked to them, and it's quite personal, quite interesting to talk to. Obviously, loves his film, knows his film, and if you're in LA and this is, if you need to see a film from 1972, this was a video library to go get it. You yep. know, if you needed to. So he's networking with the right people, and obviously charismatic enough to get in front of the right people and get those scripts in front of it. Yep. And go get him enough. I mean, Rodriguez we could talk about as well, if we wanted to. But he came out with, similar to Kevin Smith, he sold his body to science. Did he? To get money to make El Mariachi. El Mariachi yeah. Which just cost like 14000 or 40000 or something. Yeah. And obviously, good enough. People bought it at Sundance or one of those sort of things. They spent yeah. more money than he spent on it just up doing the sound to get it up to a proper level and releasing it. Yeah. Obviously, from then on, he went Desperado, Sin City, Spy Kids. Yeah, exactly. You know, again, he's someone like a Kevin Smith who comes through loving cinema, loving... And again, he's probably inspired by the 70s. Well, sort of stuff. Sort of, like yeah. Grindhouse. Fistful of dollars and that yeah. sort of spaghetti western type stuff. Mm. So he's come through making films for films. And that's, I suppose, that's what Tarantino is. is films for films as opposed to selling Happy Meals. Yeah. It's funny because I remember reading something about when they made El Mariachi that he didn't have the budget to go and buy a bunch of fake guns to make the movie and then he had like one gun so there's never a shot in the movie of like someone pointing a gun at someone else that's holding a gun it's always like film this guy holding the gun then quickly give it to him and film from the other angle sort of thing and, and that's great stuff I mean yeah. when you've got guys who are literally that good filmmakers yep. this happens and I do enjoy watching shit films and I'll watch a lot of the Asylum movies or whatever yep. so I saw a, a Bigfoot movie with Danny Boniducci. He was the star. Did he star as Bigfoot? No, no. Okay. He was a shock jock in this whatever town in Canada somewhere. And there was meant to be a music festival. And it was so badly filmed. And they had like literally 25 extras for this for this scene. This meant to be a music festival. Yep. Now, I'm not a director. I think I could, I could do okay. But I have no idea how to direct a film. I've never done the whole scope of things. You look at Peter Jackson did with The Lord of the Rings. How the fuck he managed to do that is amazing. That's amazing management if you're at a music festival it's meant to be a lot of people come to this thing because the music festival is what got Bigfoot really angry so he comes and kills all the town because you know, the noise has ruined his slumber or something yeah. it's like oh it's got to look like a festival quick spread out everyone over the 25 to take <laughs> up room so it just looks like there's 25 people on a football field that's it it doesn't look filled doesn't look compact tighten it in it's just like these people are making films how the fuck did this happen Yeah. like where who said here have some money and we're talking there's probably a couple of million bucks for these little films now you know not much two or three I mean if it's anybody in she's not costing a lot yeah. it's like the Mega Croc and whatever Debbie Gibson Tiffany Fair movies Derek. that's a bit cheaper yeah. but you're they're getting this money where for $40,000 Kevin Smith can pull out a clerks or yep. for I think it's 15 or 20,000 I think it was El Mariachi mm. people well, love movies and they only have one gun yet they can yeah. make it work because they're smart yet Whoever's making, you know, mega octopus and crocker, whatever, yeah. no one knows how to make a film. But, yeah, yeah. So, I, so I suppose the 90s sort of brought that back. I mean, yes, the 70s had a lot of auto filmmaking and you had your Scorsese's, your Coppola's, your Spielberg's when he was before, whatever, you know, Lucas and all those sort of people. Yeah. 80s, you saw the birth of Cameron, Tony Scott, Ridley Scott, 
Yeah. And I guess... And they were all big and they were all auteurs, but they were sort of bigger. They weren't making that. Woody Allen was all the way through, but you saw a different Woody Allen come through. In the 90s, it seemed to come back to telling little stories or bombastic stories. But then there was a lot of blockbusters in the 90s as well that we're not covering. Like, take Terminator 2, James Cameron's massive... Yep. Like, one of the biggest movies of the 90s. And Jurassic Park, which... Yeah, exactly. Right. And this is the beauty of the early 90s as opposed to going to Bigfoot. Yeah. Is Jurassic Park still holds up as a great film. Why? Because Steven Spielberg is a filmmaker. Well, early CG, but good CG. Like, they knew... They couldn't just use it because it wasn't... It's expensive, and they it was new. Yeah. So it's like, all right, we're going to use this. We're going to use it well. We're going to use it sparingly. But when they... It's still awe-inspiring. The way... Because he can tell a picture. He can, yeah. he can make a movie. Spielberg knows what he's doing. So when you first see the Brontosaurus for the first time, it is awe-inspiring. When you see the T-Rex, it's awe-inspiring because he can tell that. Yeah. But uh, even even low, like smaller scale, the scene where the raptors are chasing them around the kitchen and stuff, you feel it's like they really are there. I mean, it's like the shark in Jaws. Yeah. I mean, it failed. So he had to direct around the fact that the shark was shit and it made for a better picture because he can direct a movie. Yeah. Whereas with something like Bigfoot or Mega Crocodildo... <laughs> They CG can be done by some kid in his basement now because anyone can get the program illegal <laughs> and they can put shit together Again, literally like, like the birds at the end of bird damage <laughs> oh, well, that's even worse that looks like someone's put a screensaver over the top but like even some of these ones like Sharktopus or yeah. Landshark or any of these things they're not bad like they're better than they were in the mid 90s TV shows like better than they had in Star Trek Next Generation yeah but if you don't know how to tell a story with cinema, you're not a good director. Yeah. It's just a special effect to cover up the fact that you can't tell a story. Exactly. So something like Jurassic Park still holds up because it's a good movie. What happened... So that's early 90s T2. Again, the, the metal man in T2 is amazing and it's used well because it's used sparingly. Fucking expensive. Yep. Easy to do badly. Yeah. So it's done really well. You get to the end of the 90s and you've got Phantom Menace in 99. Now... Can't fault the special effects. No problem there. there. You've got Jar Jar Binks, the first computer-generated character in history. Like, the whole thing. It's amazing special effects. And you watch it going, that's amazing special effects. Because you know it's yeah. a special effect. You don't feel like he is a, a fleshed-out character. No. And all the spaceships, all of this. I love watching the original Star Wars trilogy because they're practical effects used in yep. map paintings, practical models, you know, real explosions and slowed down and... And yeah. using all that sort of stuff it's real it feels real it looks real you don't feel like you're watching a special effect Phantom Menace everything looks fake it's really nice fake but it doesn't not once you get grabbed in going you're too busy going that's a really nice effect yeah I can remember when I saw Phantom Menace and I haven't actually gone back and watched it again but I can remember watching it thinking it felt like a kids film whereas Star Wars didn't well because we were kids because we were kids yeah, yeah. I, I mean that's I mean that's another thing about does Phantom Menace is it a movie for me probably not at that age yeah. but but the, it was the problem of the time with I mean you remember watching Free Jack or something like that it had it was like virtual reality when we didn't know really know what it was so it was all these computer graphics because we can and, and going a big back Jagger and, for no reason yeah. and right. it would look naff now yeah. but it was just oh these are the effects we have as opposed to T2 and Jurassic Park where it's like we are at the forefront of the technology but we're still using the mindset of filmmaking yeah and that's where Star Wars was so good because it was the end they've been using models for years yeah 
So it's like we have people who have grown up watching 60s, 70s movies, yep. working on these movies, yeah. and they're the best in the field doing it. So it's like we can make the best with the technology we have today. Phantom Menace, he's going, I'm going to bring in the new technology. This is what's going forward. And it was sort of like, mm, okay. Where The Matrix came out the same year, and that sort of was new. Yeah. It's use the effects, bullet time, all this sort of stuff. And you go, we hadn't seen... This was new. And especially to someone of our age, this is oh, it's got cooler music, the fashion's cooler. Yeah. Yes, it's very dated now, all that latex and yeah, new metal and all this sort of shit. And all that sort of stuff. You yeah. know, it, it's very dated for its time, like in the same way Clueless is a 90s sort of look. That is very much 90s at that time. Even by the last film, they got rid of that latex and he was wearing, you know, woolen coats and things like I that. I don't know. I, I gave up after the second Matrix movie. I didn't bother with the third one. There's good moments in the third one, but again, it's... it's, it's we can talk about that another day, maybe. But well, we were going to do like, an episode on disappointing sequels one day. Yeah. So, so the effects are driven. Yes, Phantom Menace particularly effects driven plot. Where Terminator Two has a plot with really good effects in it. Yeah. Jurassic Park has got a good plot with good effects in it. Good use of practical and digital effects. And yeah, unfortunately, by the end of the nineties, it was becoming cheaper to do the CG stuff, and then it became lazier to do the. Yeah. Not only cheaper, it's like, oh, we can just fix it in post, or we can. So you've got these elaborate dolly shots where we're going to move the camera around here and here because you can. I remember a friend of mine, Jace, being really disappointed with a Daredevil movie because they dropped a rose off the building at the end and you followed it down, and it was just this really bad CG'd rose falling down. It's like, just drop a fucking rose off yeah. the thing. You know, it's, <laughs> it's not that hard, but, you know, it, it's. Just a good filmmaker versus a mediocre filmmaker and what you can do. I, you know, uh, we've talked about Ghost Rider in the past. Yep. Not a great filmmaker, I don't think. Relied on the special effects. The visual of a dude with a flaming skull head and a motorbike is fucking awesome as a visual, but there's no plot yep. to surround that visual. So effects do not help if you don't know what you're doing. When you look at Avatar, you know, he's someone who's gone along, he's pushed the forefront, James Cameron, with Avatar. I don't think it's a great plot, but yes, it was solid. He does a solid plot, but going forward, so we well we could do a two thousands in a few months or next year or something. Look at two thousands yeah. movie. I couldn't pick a two thousands fashion. No, I can't even think of a movie that I would look at and think that makes me think two thousands. Maybe Boys in the Hood was that still nineties? That's nineties. That's is it? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe we'll. So any listeners, if you can say, oh, this is a two thousands movie, please let us know because yeah. I can't think of any. Well, that, that's a good idea. Maybe we should investigate that and do that further down the track and just have a look at how things have progressed. And I bet you'll find that you will have less dialogue-driven and more effects-driven movies. Yeah. And yeah. All right, well, that's probably a nice place to wrap up. It's another hot night here in, Mel- in Melbourne, so we're actually melting a little bit in the studio here. But, uh, yes, drop us a line on the Facebook and, again, tell us what you think your favourite 90s movies are. Tell us what we got wrong. Tell us what we should have watched. We are facebook.com slash the massive attack podcast. You can also drop us a line on our email, which is the podcast at gmail.com. Or you can just check out our website, which is the podcast.podbean.com. And until next month, we'll see you then. Bye bye. <laughs>